announced the creation of a new information operations technical training school. So in our business of national security, where our job is to fly, fight, and win, we better be masters at this game of innovation. Air Force Basic Military Training has an updated curriculum with a new focus on readiness and lethality. This is the Developing Mach 21 Airmen Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome in to Developing Mach 21 Airmen. Thanks for the subscribe, stream, or download. However, you might be listening in. If you get a chance to throw us some stars or even take some time out and leave us a review, we certainly would appreciate that. We certainly also appreciate you taking time today to tune in with us. My name is Dan Hawkins from the Air Education and Training Command Public Affairs Office and your host for this professional development podcast dedicated to bringing total force Big A Airmen insight, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from the recruiting, training, and education field. Dr. Stephanie Kovasa-Smith from the Headquarters AETC Future Environments Division jumps on the podcast today, which by the way is episode number 11 already, hard to believe, but there's tons of goodness here on this episode as we focus on the trends and learning today that will help us as a command shape the future learning environment in the year 2030. New to the first command, Dr. Kovasa-Smith has spent a good deal of time in her career at the Air Force Research Laboratory, as well as at the Air Force Personnel Center, looking at force development and the education and training environment from a research perspective. So she is passionate and has a deep background in learning. So looking forward to what she has to talk about in terms of trends moving forward in the education and training world. And with training such a big part of maintaining readiness, which is of course a top priority for our senior Air Force leaders, and also the focus of our AATC strategic plan on reimagining the training arena across the board, a couple of the big reasons why these learning trend considerations is so important is that it the implications and performance measurement of those trends will contribute to our return on investment and the long-term planning. In essence, you know, if we're not leaning forward, we're going to get left behind in terms of the learning space that is out there for us to explore. Leading things off, Dr. Kovasa-Smith talks about where we need to head in terms of learning in the future and why we have to consider the trends now in order to shape learning in 2030 with the focus on baseline performance and the methods used in addition to some of the consequences of not considering those trends. She then moves into the trends going in-depth into several areas of learning, including the advantages and implications of each of the trends as well as application of the trends that are happening now across the First Command. Some of those trends that Dr. Kovasa-Smith digs into include the proliferation of artificial intelligence, the use of virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality, uh, as well as the increase in uh, open source environment learning, which talks to Air Force content on hubs like YouTube, Code Project, Bright Hub, uh, as well as social media, and how that open source environment fits into the AETC strategic plan in terms of multi device implementation. She also dives into collaborative learning trends, talking directly to what classrooms will look like, team cognition 
That's in terms of training as we would fight or considering teams as the unit and as well as performance-optimized teams. So a lot of good stuff here. And you'll want to stick around to the end, kind of save the best for last, at least in my opinion. We talk about the science of game-based learning, including the critical components and advantages of that, as well as the implication of using games in the learning environment. So let's start thinking learning in 2030. Episode 11 of Developing Mach 21 Airmen starts right now. So, Dr. Kovas Smith, thanks for coming in today and talking with us here on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I've been with the Air Force since 2002. Uh, worked at Air Force Research Laboratory. Started out in Mesa, Arizona, doing training research. Um, worked everything from fast jet to heavy to um, RPA and uh, JTAC. A um, lot of different operational mission areas. Um, my area of expertise is decision making and competency-based competency training. Um, I went to school at Arizona State University um, for three degrees. My undergrad and my master's are in human factors and my doctorate is in psychology with an emphasis on perception, action, and cognition. So really focusing on human performance elements. So here at AETC, you work uh, in the Futures Environment Division in A9Z. Uh, it's pretty interesting what you guys are doing there. So can you kind of tell the audience maybe what your guys' main mission in life is? So we are part of the Intelligence Analysis and Innovation Directorate, which really the goal of our overarching directorate is to really fuel decision advantage um, in force development and in learning environments. So really pushing force development, um, development <laughs> through an intel level analysis, really understanding the environment and then really pushing innovation based on that good, solid, um, firm environmental understanding. In A9Z, really, our goal is to kind of develop the learning environment, so to kind of help it to grow. One, through taking this environmental assessment piece and working into strategic aligned trends um, for force development, um, making sure that we are ensuring that there's a joint perspective and um, working with academia and industry to kind of bring the whole picture together. And there's really a couple different sides to A9. So you have the A9A team who is working in innovation, but they're kind of dealing more on the technology and, and the today side of the ideas, whereas you guys are focused more a little bit on that human development, force development type side. Really, a lot of our emphasis is on uh, the learning science and the learning environments and really pushing, you know, to 2030 and beyond in a lot of cases. Um, we want to pull in all of the good learning and cognitive science research that's being done into the Air Force um, and really determine the best way to implement it um, alongside of our competency-based uh, learning development and really try to leapfrog our training into the future and 
really, I mean, one of the goals is as far as training goes, we we were Air Force was looked at as a the training experts for a very long time. And really our goal is to get the Air Force back to the being considered the training experts in the world. When you look at learning and you look at the future of learning, and in fact, AATC just held a learning consortium a few weeks ago, and you gave a presentation there called Learning 2030, Are You Plugged In? Where is learning headed for us and why is it so important that AETC looks to 2030 already in terms of where we're headed? Well, so change takes time and incorporating new technologies, new developments and completely fundamentally changing the way that we're doing training is going to take some time. Um, it's going to take time both from a, a social uh, socialization and acceptance standpoint as well as an integration standpoint. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of why we're, we're really pushing um, you know one to two decades out is really trying to think about okay so how do how do we anticipate what the technology is going to look like and how do we develop our training to meet the capabilities enabled by that technology so the big focus of your presentation uh, at the learning consortium was uh, that the trends and, and what learning is shaping up over the next 10 years or so um, but before we get into some of those trends why and you touched on it a minute ago but why is it so important that we consider uh, all of these trends and how do we plug in and figure out what's the right method moving forward like how how do we do that and why is it so important to consider it right now well, the first thing that we really need to do before jumping into trends is really understand our current state. Um, we need to develop performance measurements, develop assessments of our airmen so we understand where we stand now. Um, so before jumping, um, you know, a decade or more down the road, really understanding both the operational and the learning environment, how are we utilizing technology or not? And then how do we change that? What is the best way to push us into the future? Um, and really, you know, develop a strategy. So kind of get out there a little bit on how we're going to do that. And then plan long term, which is a little bit more conservative term, how we're going to implement that strategy. And I think what sometimes gets lost in the shuffle is right you're not operating in a vacuum there's a lot of collaboration that has to happen to make those kinds of decisions across the air force absolutely and a lot of our work is focused on strategic engagement and fusion and when i say fusion i'm really talking about taking our engagements and taking them to the next level you're not just talking to people you're actually working with them and you're not just working with them you're working with them on strategic level and you're actually implementing the, the results of the collaboration back into your learning environment. So really taking that and closing the loop so it's not just a, a discussion, but it's really a discussion with the purpose and then the purpose and the results are actually utilized. 
Um, and this is on many different levels. Uh, we're working with academia, working with industry. We have a, a joint future learning working group. We're actually bringing in um, the Navy, the um, other Air Force uh, entities, uh, Marine Corps, Army, and some of their future uh, command and Cradoc folks um, and ADL to kind of make sure that we are all on the same page. And, and they're really, this is a really unique uh, group in that from OSD perspective, they do have some groups that are focused, but it's more on S&T. So really what our core uh, focus of our future learning working group is really to unite practitioners and scientists and engineers. So we're actually closing the loop between people who are using the de developments and employing them in the schoolhouse to the, the SNEs that are actually doing the development. So kind of closing, closing that loop and, and uh, using that, that communication to really accelerate where we're going. And really all of these actions tie back to Air Force Chief of Staff General David Goldfein wanting a more lethal and ready force Absolutely. and in line with General Qua's strategic plan, um, using immersive technology, um, using big data to help drive decisions and basically reimagining training and all of these things just play right in to the Air Force's big picture of ultimately providing airmen who are ready to go out into that joint world in our dynamic security environment. That's really what's so exciting about what you get to do for a living. Well, and we're also, so along those lines of so developing airmen, we're also thinking about, okay, so how do we develop a cadre of folks who have the future thinking mindset? So I came from the lab, so it was not a invalid concept to me to think about the future state because we plan 20 to 30 years in advance on most of our programs um, as far as research and development goes. So, but I wanna bring that um, to AETC, really get people thinking um, and developing a knowledge base to think in the future, really looking at, okay, so how do we train people to be systems thinkers, um, get them thinking critically and evaluating products, um, bringing in the social intelligence component, really thinking about how do you build collaborations and how do you actually use the results of that collaboration to push where you're going down the road. Um, and then, like I talked about, that joint planning, really making sure that everything we're doing has a joint flavor and connect back to our joint operating environment, as well as understand the human in the loop. That's a, I mean, that's my background, so I'm going to foot stomp performance assessment. I'm going to foot stomp the human factor. Really, we need to think about this warfighter, this airman that we're putting in this training system and how all of the manipulations in the training system or the learning developments are going to affect him. So that's our goal is to affect him, but we want to make sure that we're doing it in an effective and efficient way to create a ready warfighter. Um, and also bringing in the considerations looking at return on investment, which is really important to consider when you're looking at technological innovation and trend development is really, so what is this cool, neat toy going to bring to us in the long run? Um, and kind of strat planning and forecasting where you're going to go. Um, also, I think that I, like I said, I bring the SNT understanding from being at the lab. That's not necessarily a skill set or an ability that most people have. So how do we 
motivate people to have the curiosity to go out and discover the science and technology that can help them. Um, and then also kind of understanding your mission space and really where are the gaps? So do the gap analysis and figure out here's the areas that I might be able to inject a technology or I might be able to inject a new learning principle in order to get us to the next step. And really, it was interesting because uh, Pilot Training Next is doing so many cool things uh, in terms of, of the technology and learning and, and just finding different ways uh, to do training. And last week they had a technology expo here and I talked to Colonel Samantha Week. She's the 14th Flying Training Wing Commander at Columbus Air Force Base. And she told me that right now it, it's just an exciting time to be an airman because really the Air Force has said, hey, free reign, let's go out there and try to find new ways to do business. And, and you know, is there a better time to be an airman in, in terms of learning right now? I don't think as far as learning, I think we, we are in a great space. People are open to change and are willing to move along uh, a new a new road um, and I think that's actually gonna be a cultural shift for us um, and and it takes a little bit of an open mind um, but the work they're doing at PTN is really amazing it's taking some Air Force developed technologies from AFRL and some Air Force developed um, theories about learning and really implementing them to really cut that training time down which really, I mean, you know, our, our long-term fiscal picture, we really have to think about cost. Yeah, and not doing it in a vacuum. I mean, really basing it on competency and, Absolutely. and you know, breaking those long-held industrial age paradigms that General Quas talks about. Time Absolutely. is the constant and and training in the context of a mission. And so it's, it's really exciting. But talking about exciting, let's transition over to the trends because there is so much cool stuff i mean we don't have enough time on the podcast to really go full in depth on all of these but let's start with artificial intelligence and it is just exploding and our want for that is just continuing to grow because as each new uh update to what we can do with artificial intelligence comes out, we, we see the possibility and we want even more. So talk a little bit about artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence has been a part of our culture, but really it's becoming integrated and it's becoming integrated to the point that we don't even know that it's there, which is the key um, is really to have that seamless integration and usability. Um, Air Force is really picking up and running with artificial intelligence, especially with regards to some of the, the automated tutors um, that are being used. PTN is a great example of the use of automated tutors. Um, so while these pilots are flying in a virtual environment, um, the automated tutors coaching them, um, giving them very specific feedback to help them to better their performance in a much more rapid um, fashion. Um, really, when we talk about, when I talk about artificial intelligence, I think what's really going to be the foot stomper is really augmented intelligence, which is the notion of combining the AI, which is really smart and, and great, with our amazing human cognitive abilities. Humans are really great decision makers. We're really great reaction 
we have the ability to take large amounts of information and pull out um, you know, nuggets um, in a very short period of time. Those are some of the developments that AI hasn't quite gotten to yet. So really, the, the interest is really how do we look at augmented intelligence? We're augmenting our own intelligence with decision support or um, feedback tools um, really to guide learning um, and to capitalize on, on our human capabilities. Because truly, at the end of the day, you still need that human touch from the instructor perspective. You have all this data, and the artificial intelligence can see data and look at it in a more black and white way, but you kind of still need that human instructor to be able to take that human side of learning. To take the human side of learning and to really pull everything back together. Um, Because maybe your AI is only focused on one part of your task. But your instructor's there to teach you how to integrate those elements together um, into a unified performance. And so from an instructor perspective, uh, how do you see AI um, changing their lives uh, from, from an instructor perspective uh, moving forward? From an instructor perspective, and this is actually very relevant to faculty development, um, it's going to really change the role of the instructor. So they're going to become a mediator or a facilitator where they're kind of guiding um, performance, but they're not necessarily providing the direct feedback um, in real time that they have um, because the AI is going to take that over. And they may inject uh, feedback in where maybe the AI is not quite up to speed, um, but really they're going to be monitoring performance. It gives them more of a chance to really look at what are the performance assessments um, that I can be doing while this person is performing the task. And um, the performance assessment piece is also going to be built in and uh, measured automatically. So maybe they're parsing through that data in real time. And there's still some challenges for the artificial intelligence. Um, You kind of touched on that Mm -hmm. it's not quite there, but developing it and then, you know, making sure that that AI is measuring the the content that we need it to measure and, and then, you know, making it even scalable. So there's still some challenges. Absolutely. And and really, I mean, the one thing that AI is really good at right now is really well-defined problem spaces, um, you know, where it can ingest a large amount of information, make some conclusions, and then use that to perform a task. Um, so if it's an ill-defined problem space or has any uncertainty to it, that's definitely something that a human needs to stay in the loop on. And we talked a little bit about General Quas's strategic plan and his vision and breaking long-held industrial age paradigms. Mm-hmm. The One of the big advantages for AI is it helps students kind of control the learning and they can learn at their own pace. Absolutely, and I think students really prefer it's more engaging to them. Um, and the fact that it adapts automatically allows them to move faster um, if they want to or if they're able to, or to slow it down in areas that they might need a little bit more assistance. And this um, this engagement um, is definitely increased because the AI can match student preferences um, via feedback given into the model from the students. So when you look at how AI um, will be able to integrate inside of 
operations. During your presentation, you gave some excellent examples of how not just the Air Force, for example, in pilot training next is using it, but you talked about even um, other sister services like the Army doing some uh, AI things in the field as well as the FAA as well. So the Army is using um, AI actually in their field training. They actually have wearable sensors um, that people are, are, are equipped with before they go out in the field. And then the AI is actually working to detect their physiological state and their cognitive state. So they know if the individual is getting stressed out or if they're overheated or you know they have some variability to their heart rate and they can actually change the training to react to the physiological state of the warfighter in, an, in a natural environment, which is pretty, pretty amazing. So, I mean, we could probably talk about AI all day, but we're going to transition here um, to uh, more into the technological side of the augmented reality, virtual reality, and even mixed reality. In fact, um, a few weeks ago, um, I had the chance to sit down with some folks from Air University from Squadron Officer School, and some of the things they're doing with mixed reality, frankly, was just off the chain. I mean, it was incredible what they're doing. So can you talk a little bit about what you see the trends are moving forward for learning 2030? Absolutely. Um, so AR, VR, and so augmented, mixed, mixed, and virtual reality are being picked up and run with, which is amazing. Um, I was around and in research the, the first time that they really started kind of creeping in, but the cost factor was so high that nobody could actually use the technologies, um, you know, beyond like a, an initial system. Now we've got this great technology, industry's running with the ball, and we're going to get updates and, and maintenance for hopefully for years to come. So there are some great advantages to the use of these technologies in our training systems. I think the advantages are probably pretty well known. Right now the cost is a lot lower than a lot of live training environments. The immersion or the ability to create um, a high fidelity training environment um, that is uh, really engaging to the trainee is is one of the definite benefits. Um, you can also create tasks and scenarios in these environments that you can't create any other way. So if you imagine um, a live training environment, even red flag or um, an infantry training, as I used the Army example before, um, you can do a lot, but it takes a lot of aircraft, it takes a lot of resources, um, you can't create wicked scenarios um, for people to learn in. But through immersive environments, augmented virtual mixed reality, we can create those wicked scenarios, those, those one-off um, experiential development um, opportunities. Um, and then also, you know, along with it comes the increased safety. Um, and I already think I talked about the engagement a little bit. So it's really changing the way that people are learning the information because they're so immersed. It's, it's really creating a more robust cognitive representation of the learning. And I think it's really interesting you bring up the safety perspective because obviously safety first and, and no matter what we're doing. Uh, General Doherty, the 19th Air Force commander, was recently out at Little Rock Air Force Base and some of the safety 
uh, implications of how they're doing training by using the technology to increase their ability to do repetitions in the training environment, but do it in a completely 100% safe way was is a huge selling point, um, obviously for for what we want to do. Well, and and even Shepherd, they have the the fear of heights training simulator mm -hmm. that they've developed, um, where they can test people's ability to operate in that environment standing on the ground. Well, the other advantage is, is that really because of the rep repetition um, uh, factor being uh, an, uh, an ability, we can actually take advantage of a lot of the developments in learning theory that look at the, develop the number of repetitions and the diversity of training that is needed um, because we can... Things that they found at pilot training next because they're able to fly all these types of sorties before they actually ever go up in an airplane and it's a lot easier because they've seen it 15 times where before maybe they would have never even seen it before they actually flew it in a plane. Well, and I think so AR also brings some really interesting capabilities. Um, so we actually have the ability through augmented reality to provide a decision support tool um, using AI and uh, to provide a scaffold uh, to these individuals wearing, you know, a goggle actually out in an actual environment instead of being, you know, stuck in a sim lab or, or, you know, constrained to a desk, they can actually go out and work on their aircraft or work on whatever system it is that they're doing um, and still have the, the decision support like they would in training. So we imagine this being a cost saver. Um, you can really um, take a mid-level, you know, tech and move them out into the um, real environment with that decision support. They can be as productive, if not more so, than an individual who completed their full training um, in a in a, a normal training environment. So. There are some some research pointing at you know at that capability actually working um, and allowing them to still continue to learn and and, uh, and grow on the job um, at a at a high rate like they would in a in a typical training environment um, and if you can imagine that is a really great opportunity for reducing training and overhead um, cost. And of course, we always have to be, I mean, fiscally conscious. I mean, that's Absolutely. just part, that's just the, the reality of, of every day for us in the Air Force. So um, transitioning out from AR, VR, MR, so much to talk about. It, it's really incredible. But one of General Quast's big things when he took command um, a year and a half ago was, was creating the ability for airmen to access learning anywhere, anytime, on any device. And one of the ways as we look forward to learning in 2030 is how do we do this in open source environments and, and make learning more accessible for airmen? Well, really, um, so the open source environments are already there. Um, we had two airmen go through, uh, look for a specific topic area over 30 minutes. They found probably about 25 different sources uh, that are out there on the web that actually had Air Force content. And this is everything from GitHub to YouTube to Code Project, um, you know, some of the Microsoft sites as well as all of our social media 
um, sites. Um, so the content is out there. Really, what uh, the Air Force is working towards now is the pulling pulling it all into uh, our own cloud. So really, um, AETC is developing that rep repository, um, which will give us the ability to, to actually, A, be able to easily find what we're looking for, um, to still allow people to create their own content, um, but it will also be curated and organized in a way that's easy to search and access. Um, and I think the, the really cool thing too is, you know, you talked about um, creating their own content, mm -hmm. but I think also one of the goals was to create more of a learning community Absolutely. Um, that fostered a collaborative learning environment. Well, and really that allows not only the, the learnees, but also the stakeholders to jump in. Maybe there's a new tech development that they want to get new information out to the trainees. They can do that in a quick and easy way. Um, and and have it readily accessible. I think another cool thing that you do see often, uh, you know, outside the Air Force is crowdsourced content and and mm -hmm. you know content that is more popular, um, getting uh, spread around more because maybe there's value in it. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, people uh, who are able to establish themselves as experts. You know their 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 information is is often more widely disseminated as well. Lots going on uh, in in that arena, and it transitions uh, transitions us nicely to collaborative learning and trends, uh, both uh, in terms of inside the classroom uh, as well as as cognition and training um, as we would fight, uh, so to speak, and then performance from a, a team perspective. So uh, let's start in the classroom, um, kind of a, a shift in thinking there big time. Absolutely. So um, the way that we're looking now at collaborative learning and, and, and really flipping the classroom upside down is really to have the students teach each other and to learn in teams. Um, when students teach each other, it gives them an ability to deeply process the information because they have to internalize it and then they have to process it at a level where they can explain it to someone else. So they're teaching it to themselves and then teaching it to someone else, which doubles the exposure of the information that they're getting. Um, and then also when they receive information from uh, other people, um, other students, um, it's it's also strengthening their knowledge representations. Um, and really in the classroom, um, you're really changing your level of focus um, from, yes, you're looking at an individual, but the team and all of the other people on it are not gonna be successful unless everybody works together. So all of our working environments are also built that way as well. Um, so not only changing the way that we're providing instruction, um, does it actually help the students? Yes. It also has the additional benefit of preparing them to go out into the force uh, because they're, they're learning more of those team collaboration, coordination um, abilities alongside of their, their knowledge development. And that really transitions to, again, instructors and their changing role of how they're going to end up, um, you know, facilitating vice maybe being the primary instructor in a lot of 
scenarios, mm -hmm. um, but there's already some applications being put in place from, from a classroom perspective uh, in AETC at Keesler and at Air University. Yeah, and they really are showing some great success. I mean, it really, like you mentioned, it really does change that instructor role. Um, they have to kind of change the way that they develop their curriculum and their syllabi to enable the students to teach each other and really use the technology that they have at their fingertips and maybe get some different technology like some you know, smart whiteboards um, on the wall as facilitation tools, both for the, the individuals and for the instructor. The instructor is also um, monitoring, you know, learning. So if the learning is not occurring on a specific topic, he can stop the class from doing the team activity and jump in and lecture everybody to get them all back where they need to be. So more of a path director um, facilitator role than you know a lecturer um, so really a guide on the side versus a sage on the stage really changing that that fundamental role of instruction so looking at the team concept and the cognition and training <laughs> as we would fight uh, this future of learning really looks at performing performance measurement from a group perspective. And that's that's so individual performance measurement is very, very important. Um, but we do function as teams, um, regardless of whether it's a four ship or uh, a team of infantry out um, doing an exercise. Our, our focus really needs to be not only on the individual level of performance, but also on group knowledge and team cognition. And really looking at those back and forth communication um, between team members and um, whether or not they're able to communicate their knowledge to their team members to the level that the team members all understand what everybody else is capable of, what their strengths and weaknesses are. Those are the drivers really of, of the, the team cognition concept and really should be some of the areas that even in our training environments, um, it's not hard to um, teach people to focus on those elements when they're interacting in teams. Well, and, and ultimately we're giving them uh, more of a left-loading perspective of what it's going to be like when they go out into the operational Air Force because we do um, end up relying on individual people to accomplish those team goals. Absolutely. And, and really, it does encourage everybody to work together a little bit more carefully. And so when you look at that integration into operations um, from that perspective, um, from collaborative learning, how do you see that shaping up over the next decade? So right now, there's a lot of uh, integration with collaborative learning and team cognitions into exercises such as Red Flag, um, which is an air-to-air -air combat training exercise, really gives an ability to do these really intense um, real-world air combat sorties. And one of the findings from Red Flag is that it enhances their team communication um, during uh, training and beyond. It gives them a set of skills and communication that you wouldn't normally get um, 
because they do design the scenarios during red flags so the teams have to rely very heavily on each other. Um, and then the Army also does, uh, in their military training center at Fort Irwin, they do live fire team training. So they actually have a very high fidelity um, training environment and they're kind of creating that team cognition, um, team measurement, uh, performance assessment uh, environment for their training as well. So it is being done. It's not being done as widely as it probably should. And really, this is a call to really look at how, how are the ways that we can consider integrating some of these great findings into our operational training units. So I wanted to save the best for last and give you a little insight into my soul. But there's now kind of a trend to move towards game-based learning, and it, it has a serious foothold here. It does have a serious foothold, um, and there's some really amazing work going on across the Air Force in, in game-based learning. The Gaming Research Integration Learning Lab at AFRL has really done a, a lot of great work with developing training environments. Um, they work a lot with PTN. They worked a lot with some of the maintenance training um, some of the aircraft maintenance uh, immersion training. And the cool thing about them is they actually teach students how to code. And as teaching students how to code, they're developing these training environments, but they're all game-based. So one of some of the things to think about really, um, everybody wants to have a game as training. One, it gets buy-in. Um, you're getting engaged learners that are really excited to be there. Um, it's, you know, it's got some great um, components to it. You can put a lot of structure into it um, and, and, and teach some higher level uh, decision making and planning skills. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of advantages to games. There's a lot of things that have to be thought of very carefully when you're designing games. Um, for learning, like distraction, you don't want to provide so much that the that the trainees are not learning what they're supposed to be learning, um, that they're not getting the objectives that are designed into the game. And then um, if, if those objectives are not met, you're not going to have any transfer of training. So that's definitely going to affect that. Um, the way it does, a game is designed and the components within the game can also affect the cognitive and physiological factors of the individuals in the game. So, you know, some of the more violent video games come to mind. Of course, we are in Air Force. Um, they will see some violence, but there may be some other elements um, that need to be carefully controlled as well. Um, you don't want to overload them uh, with information or over inundate them so that they miss things um, either. But, but really the science behind this has, has proven effective. I mean, they're doing this in elementary schools with math. They are. Um, and, and just all kind of, my son does it. Um, and his math shot up and he's excited to, to do it because it's, He's learning math in the context of a game, so it seems a lot more fun to him. It is, <laughs> and and it has some really great benefits. I don't mean to downplay it by telling you about the implications, but um, the 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 benefits are so great with game-based learning that a lot of people don't think about 
okay, so what what are the implications? What are the other things I should consider? Um, and really, um, really though, the benefits are so good. Um, and, and really the major um, thing is, is, like I said, the engagement, the motivation to be there and learn. Um, the It's really promoting long-term memory development because they're associating a meaningful environment with the context. And, and really it's a transition because by the time we're perhaps able to really implement that on a broader scale, those future airmen will have grown up with that kind of learning. So it, it won't even necessarily seem brand new to our future airmen. Right. Well, and, and they will they will maintain or should maintain the engagement and motivation that they had originally um, just because this is a, a, a much more um, meaningful way to present information. So we've talked about a ton of stuff today. This is all great stuff. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is, is if we're not leaning forward, we're going to get left behind. Well, and, and I think that really in a lot of ways, this uh, future assessment is really a strategy that we need to get back to employing. Um, we were really, really good at it as an Air Force for a long time. Um, and I think really that looking more at these trends and kind of pushing our strategy in that direction is going to be the way that we can rebuild our um, Air Force leading edge and really get back out in front of the trends and be the drivers of the trends again. Well, I just want to say thanks for stopping by. This has been good stuff. Thank you. So that'll do it. Episode 11 of the podcast in the books. Just some really amazing things to think about as we move along the continuum of learning and force development path here in the first command. What will learning look like in the year 2030? And are you plugged in. We want to say thank you to Dr. Kovasa Smith for stopping by and sharing her knowledge with us. We certainly appreciate that. As a reminder, you can follow Air Education and Training Command via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on the web at www.aetc.af.mil. Thanks for checking out the podcast today as we dive into the world of recruiting, training, and education. For our entire AETC public affairs staff, I'm Dan Hawkins. So long. We'll talk to you next time on Developing Mach 21 Airmen.